Man, I love I love coming to church and uh, and just being with God's people and singing and lifting up praise and uh, getting to see all your mugs each week. It's a joy and a pleasure. Um, listen, if you feel like this week uh, um, is a little bit off and you missed last week, it's because this is part two. So I almost feel like I need to do like previously on Lost, sort of like that, where you know you kind of catch people up a little bit. But I'm not going to re-preach last week. Um, but the, the idea really that we're in, uh, in, in a series called Demanding, is just looking at the commands of God and say, what does it look like for the normal Christian to, to follow the Lord, and what does he command of us? And um, I hope you're on some kind of a Bible reading program. Most of us uh, don't tend to just, um, don't tend to just you know, uh, get through the Bible without some sort of a plan and working it into our regimen. Uh, there's a book I'm going through with some guys, and it talks about our daily meds and just getting in the Word and just just kind of getting it as, as part of our routine. And um, and right now I'm reading through parts of the Old Testament that I would never pick up and read if it weren't for my reading plan that says you need to read this to get through the Bible in a year. But as I read it, I'm just so reminded. I mean, all through the Scriptures, the commands of God are talked about. And, um, and it's just, it, it so leaps off the page that, um, that sometimes it's, it's amazing that, that I think we can go a long time in, in some Christian circles and not really think about them because it sounds so demanding. It sounds so uh, uninviting, I guess, in a way to say, who are you to tell me what to do? Well, I'm God. So obey and live. And that's just kind of this, this message that, that, that permeates. Um, we're in this command uh, this week of preach in season and out of season. And, um, and I just want to ask you this question. Um, how, how, how has your preaching been this last week? Remember that we're preaching all the time, right? We're communicating what our core values are all the time. Whether we're using words or attitudes or gestures or how we're investing our time or spending our money, where we go, all of that, we're, we're preaching. We really are. So I guess the better question is, what message have you and I been preaching this week? And, um, and just the way the Lord works is really powerful because we were just back here in a little prayer time and, and one of the guys was sharing about his week and, um, and, and he kind of failed at this opportunity, this missed opportunity to share and, and be a light, kind of influence in a positive way. And he was kind of kicking himself about it. And as he's kicking himself about it, he says something out loud uh, near a workmate and that became this opportunity to share. The person's like, what's your problem? And he starts to share. Well, I'm a Christian, and I just blew this opportunity. And guess what he did? He just got to kind of share about being a Christian and about some things. And, and, and the, the details of it were orchestrated such that you go, wow, that's really powerful. When we're weak, that's when God's strong and he shows up. Sometimes what we think we're doing right now here isn't what the real deal is. It's something over here. I want to read last week's passage because while we're not going to dive into it this week, last week we really went through and, and exegeted it. We drew out the meaning of it. We said, what is this pa- passage talking about? And we saved a lot of the application for this week. So this week, we're going to put feet and hands um, and mouth, so to speak, onto this passage that we looked at last week. So without going into all the details of it, let me just read from, from 2 Timothy Um, chapter 4 right now, uh, verses 1 to 5, and you're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. 2 Timothy 4, uh, starting in verse 1, says this, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, he's near the end of his life, he's passing on this ministry to this this up-and-coming minister that he's been pouring into and mentoring, and he's giving him this charge. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing... 
and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Here it is. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Let me pray. Father, as we're starting out this morning and opening your word, um, I know that you have something for us, God, because you always do. Your word does not return void. And so, God, even through my frailty and imperfection this morning, I pray, God, that you would give us as a group of people, as a church family, a local body, open ears and open eyes and open hearts to hear what you would say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of, you, uh, some of you are preaching the word in season and out of season, and you're growing in it, and you're being stretched in it. As you follow Jesus, you realize, I can't stay where I am and stay comfortable all the time and still follow Jesus. It's impossible. Follow me means I can't hang out in my tax collector booth anymore and just stay here where I know the, the drill and I'm good at what I do. And I've got a steady income coming in. I love to hear these stories of faith that are going on where people are just stepping outside of themselves. And in, the, in, in, the, in hindsight, they're saying, man, this must be the Lord at work because I would never choose to go do this. My flesh doesn't want to go here. But in obedience, I, I'm finding myself opening my mouth and sharing and God's using me. God's calling to mind scriptures I haven't even really thought about before in a long time. And, and I'm, just, I'm just being used and it's really exciting. Some of you this morning, I would say this, you've just stalled a little bit. Maybe there was a season where you were a passionate speaker about God. Some of you kids have just mouths. I've heard them before. Good mouths. Volume. And, and sometimes kids and youth have this exuberance about Christ. A new baby Christian wants to share with everyone the great news. Hey, let me tell you about how my life has changed. And sometimes as we get older and, and move along and, and quote-unquote mature in our faith... That begins to wane. I love songs that talk about, Lord, just give me that passion I had when I, when I first came to you. There's a, there's a command or, or a call in Revelation to one of the churches, beckoning them, saying, I see all your hard work and your perseverance and, and all your great doctrine. But return to your first love. Let it be about the relationship and go just crazy about Jesus and it will come pouring out of your life. Let me say this, if you've stalled in your preaching in season and out of season, if you've never taken that first step, here's what I want to challenge you to do this morning. I want to challenge you to troubleshoot a little bit. I had a buddy of mine that won an iPod for free. He wasn't a very good techno guy, and so he never hooked it up. It sat in a box for, I think, over a year. And I'd be like, hey, did you get that iPod running? No. And I'm like, it's an iPod. It's, don't be scared of it. You know, open the thing up. It'll do you wonders. You know, it's like, put away the Walkman, set down the cassettes, Let's move into, into today's day and age. Um, but it just sat there. And instead of troubleshooting it and figuring out and getting it going, it's like, well, I'm just going to let it sit there. And, and in a way, I think sometimes we, we bump up against some things and we just, we just kind of stop or shut down and go, well, this isn't for me or I guess I'm not going to do it. Most of us, if I gave you right now a brand new iPod, you would go through the learning curve of figuring out how to set it up, hook it up, and get it all going. Because you're like, that's a sweet little gift. I'll use that. You wouldn't just stop at the first thing. You would begin to troubleshoot. What I want to do this morning is this. For those of you who feel stalled in 
um, in your passion to preach the word in season and out of season, I want to just look at four things, say, what's stopping you? Let's just examine, let's troubleshoot a little bit. Is it plugged in? Is it working right? Go back to the manual. I mean, all, there's lots of metaphors that you could draw there, right? We're just going to point out four. And these are from my own personal experience, from human experience, watching other people, and they're all drawn from the scriptures. Let me just tell you some, some common things that, that may be stopping you from preaching in season and out of season. The first, I think, is rejection. A lot of us, I would say most of us, I mean, you're... You're really out there if you don't fear rejection. If you're not insecure ever, that begins to border on being a psychopath a little bit. You have, there are some social abnormalities going on for people who do not care whatsoever what other people think. Don't let most people kid you. Sticks and stones, uh, you know, the word, I mean, words hurt, right? And we are insecure and we do fear rejection. And that's part of what gives us pause sometimes as we go to open our mouth about Christ. What will this person think about me? In church, I always marvel at this. In church, it sounds ludicrous to care what, what this person will think about me versus what will the God of the universe care about me and think about me. I mean, it's just so ludicrous to sit there and go, why would that ever be an issue? But it is. It is. Watch yourself this week. If you ever give pause and go, I wonder what that person's thinking about me right now, that's it. That's that fear of rejection. Some of you have been burned. We've all been burned. And so we kind of put up walls and kind of guard ourselves a little bit and decide, I'm not going to open my mouth this time. Don't want to seem like a freak. Sometimes here's what's stopping us is lack of knowledge. I don't know enough. What if they ask me this? Ever been there? Ever started to think you want to engage and then you just start to kind of retreat a little bit? Because you go, man, I just don't think I know enough about this person. Or this person seems really smart or really sharp. Or they seem really whatever. And so I'm going to kind of back off. I think another thing that stops us sometimes is just straining a relationship. We don't like conflict. Things are going along swimmingly. And we go, gosh, if we introduce the fact that I'm a Christian, the fact that I'm in love with Jesus, that's going to put a strain on our relationship. Or if I start to talk this way, I don't want to be viewed as a religious nut. I don't want that to go this way. It'll just cause conflict. I'll keep my mouth shut. Sometimes straining relationships causes us not to do it. How about public speaking? Sometimes just speaking out in a situation, and public speaking doesn't have to be to a large crowd. It can be to a, to a smaller crowd, but just stepping up and saying, this is wrong. We should not be talking about this. We should not be watching this. It can be really challenging. That's a, that's a fear we have. Maybe just fear of the unknown. If I could kind of sum up all of these together, I would, I would say this. It's fear, right? Those are all different fears that we have. We have, and, and some of you resonate with one of those more than the other, but we all have certain fears. I want to just say this, that, that being afraid, while it's common or normal, it's not right. While being afraid is normal, it's not right. Uh, when I was a very young kid, I remember early on, there was the, the local bully. He kind of lived around the corner from me, and he was, a, he was one of the toughest kids in school. And um, I don't know that we were really friends, but we lived in the neighborhood, so we kind of you know, we kind of crossed paths once in a while. And one time he was out riding his bike or something. Me and my brothers were building jumps out of plywood and bricks, and he came over, wanted to try our jumps and stuff. So we were sitting there, and, um, and God had put on my heart, just from a very young age, who he was. And the fact that he was real and the fact that we're to live for him. And while it wasn't until age 17 that God really uh, opened my eyes, I would say, to a, a whole new realm of what it meant to be a Christian and be in relationship with him. At a very young age, I knew what it meant to deny Christ and stand bold for Christ. 
And one time, we're in this conversation with this bully, and he kind of shares this thing about how a million dollars would be the greatest thing in the world. And in the moment, my heart started beating really fast because I thought I might get punched out for this by the bully. But I crossed him and I said, you know, there's something even better than a million dollars. He goes, really? What's that? I said, it's Jesus Christ and, and being with him in heaven for, for eternity. And, I, and I'm, I'm just like, like, I'm waiting for it. I'm like, this guy's got to have bigger fists than me. And, and he goes, huh. <laughs> That's all he said. You know, it's kind of anticlimactic. But, but right there in that moment, I remember that fear. No one taught me to be afraid. It just was there. And, and I go, wow. And here's the thing. I didn't repent from that fear. I would say God, God's brought me to a place now where when I experience that fear, I repent from it. I say, God, this may be normal and common, but it's not right. And I want to I say I'm sorry about that. Because it's, it's not having a big enough faith in you, a big enough trust in you. I would challenge you to repent of your fear and not be held hostage by it. Here are some answers he gives. I, I, I put this in the, in the bulletin for you in, in your notes. Matthew 10, 22. Jesus warns us. He tells us to be prepared. And he gives us clearly this, 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 this issuance. He says, don't, be, don't, don't fear. Don't be afraid. Matthew 10, 23. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And he says this. A student is not above his teacher. Remember that Jesus was called names? Then Jesus was, was sought after. There were conspiracies put together as to how we might put this guy to death and take him out. And eventually Jesus was killed. Kind of sobering that Jesus says to his followers, hey, a student is not above his teacher. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If I walk through my entire Christian life and I get to the very end, and my goal was to have no one hate me and no one really hates me, I don't think I did the Christian life right at all. I don't think I look very much like Jesus if on my deathbed um, there aren't people that I can think back in my mind that I had confrontation with, that despise me, that I annoy. Now, I might just annoy people because I can be annoying sometimes, but I mean for Christ. And if we look like that, we start to take on the shape of Jesus. He warns us, you'll be hated because of me. Verse 26, he says, so do not be afraid of them. There it is. Repent of it if you're afraid of people who hate you on account of him. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, here it is. Remember the word proclaim, preach, herald, call out. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. What you know to be true, speak out and say it. Here's the uh, one-liner. Preach in spite of your fear. Step out and preach in spite of your fear. Here's the second thing. I think sometimes people are unclear of their role. Here's what, here's what else stops people from preaching. They're unclear of their role in things. Would you open your Bibles really quickly to, to Jeremiah? Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. Just start heading left from where we were in, in uh, second, where were we? Second Timothy. And Jeremiah chapter 1. Here's this prophet of old. Major book of the Bible. Majorly used by God. And if you carefully look at all the people in the scriptures, almost every single one of them offered some kind of excuse, or I would say even a valid reason as why God had the wrong person. Moses's was what? Yeah, speech. You got the wrong guy. I can't talk in front of a lot of people. I'm slow of speech. 
Now, here's why I say they're excuses, but they might also be valid reasons. From our perspective, you really do have the wrong guy, Lord. It's legitimate that I'm slow of speech and I'm not very good. And God's like, I know that's why I'm choosing you. Look at Jeremiah's call. Uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. We talked about this last week, but it's God who calls. Therefore, it's God who enables us to do the work. Every step of the way, beginning, middle, completion. It's His work. That's a great source of comfort. Verse 6, Ah, Sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. There it is. Excuse. Or it may be a valid reason. Look at verse 7. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Here it is. Ready? Child, don't say that. Don't be afraid. Obey. I'm going to come through and rescue you every time. I'm with you. What an empowering picture to see that Jeremiah went through the same kinds of fears as us. Now, here's what I can hear some of us thinking is this. If only I had the word of the Lord that came to me, I would be more bold. If only like Jeremiah, I was, I was told and informed that I was intimately known even before I was born. I would be able to speak God's word more powerfully. And if only God had told me quite clearly and promised me that he would always be with me, then I would be able to be like a prophet of old and speak out boldly in spite of my fear. Friends, we have all those things, do we not? Quite clearly laid out for us in Scripture. So if you feel like Jeremiah, join the club and then get obeying. Get over it and get obeying. Get following Jesus and say whatever he commands you to say. Here's the answer to this fear or this stoppage, I would say, is this. That until you and I see ourselves as called to the ministry, you and I will overlook a core identity of what it means to be a kingdom people of God. Pastors like to talk about their call to ministry. And churches like to say this, we have called someone to the ministry and here he is and they introduce him and this, that, and the other thing. And that's all fine and well, but it's not something like there's a distinction that those who are doing it full time and supported by the local congregation are somehow uh, different and those who, who aren't in that position are exempt from it. We're all called to minister, are we not? And it was all the same God that's calling us and gifting us and enabling us to do this kingdom work. And we all have different roles. Matthew 28, the clearest, uh, the, the, the call is clear. Disciples, go, make disciples, baptize, teach all the, of my commandments. That's what we're to do. Remember the 12? There were 12 disciples. We know a handful of them really well. There's a bunch we don't know much about, but the command went to all of them. Let me say this, and catch this clearly because it's, uh, it's important. Salvation uh, is, is, is not a process. There is a point in time when, when a, a transaction happens, when we were formerly darkness and we're now made light in Christ. 
where we were formerly guilty and held accountable for all of our sins, and in a moment in time, we're, we're regenerated, and we're given a new heart, and we are in right standing before God. That's a moment of salvation. But coming to faith is a process. So let me say it succinctly. Salvation is not a process, but coming to faith is a process. There's someone that decided, um, he must have been an engineer, but um, we offer free eye tests here at Neighborhood Bible Church, so I'd like you all to cover up your left eye right now. Kidding. Um, there's this guy, Engel, who, who put together what's called the, the Engel scale, and um, I'm going to use this laser pointer just because I can. Can you see that? Not really, huh? All right. That's minus eight right there, and it says this, awareness of supreme being, but no effective knowledge of the gospel. Moving down, there's kind of this continuum where there's repentance and faith in Christ. Most theologians would take this and put it up here uh, before that, that you become a new creature. But uh, anyway, and then you move on afterwards to say post-decision, incorporation of the body, this, that, other thing. It's this scale that, that, that basically says this. People are not all at the same level. In fact, someone else named Gray decided we don't need a scale, we need a matrix, because that sounds cooler. Um, and so the, the, the gray matrix actually is a really helpful tool to kind of get your brain thinking, where is this person? Are they antagonistic to the gospel? Are they, are they, are they open to the gospel, but they just have no knowledge of, of what that means? And then you could take someone from different backgrounds, and this could get exponentially complicated, couldn't it? Because someone from one background needs to be brought from the fact that Jesus is more than just a prophet or a good teacher. He is the alone Son of God, uh, equal to God, come to earth, die for our sins, uh, in, in our place, rise again and give us new life. Uh, someone else over here who's a complete agnostic and been trained that way and raised that way needs to be uh, a kind of a different starting point. So you can see where there, you can make all kinds of different matrices and scales and whatnot. But the point I want to draw out is this. One never knows if God's going to use us to kind of move a person from an initial awareness of the gospel, which is a minus seven. I get to see that because I'm close to a minus six, which is awareness of the fundamentals of the gospel. You know what a great question is? Just this. It's, a, it's, it's just asking someone, hey, I'm a Christian, and um, if you ever want to know what a, what a Christian believes, I just want to let you know, in a few minutes, I could share that with you from the Bible, just share with you what a, what a Christian believes. You've put the ball in their court. You're not ramming it down their throat. You're just putting the offer out there, aren't you? And many people will say, oh, okay, thanks a lot. Some people will say, really? I I don't know if I've ever been shown that. Would you show that to me? Other people will say, yeah, I know all that Jesus stuff. Once in a while, God's going to open up someone to just be able to share that. You may have moved them from a minus seven to a minus six. Now, this isn't gospel truth, but this is a helpful way of thinking about it, isn't it? Have they accepted Christ, turned their life over to the Lord, and, and turned into a person who's going to start a drug rehab center downtown San Jose? Not yet. But if you're viewing them in, in such a way that you say, man, maybe my role is to be this seed scatterer. And for whatever reason, God's just allowed me to, to really clearly lay out the, the gospel in three to five minutes, very simply and very succinctly. And people just seem to get it when I do that. That's one of the roles God has for, for us. There are other people who are amazing uh, closers. They, 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 just, they just come in and, they, and they're able to just call for a decision. Other people would call for a decision in their life and they say, man, other people have invited me this before, but for some reason today it makes sense. And yes, I do want to do this. And there are other people that are nurturers that, that come along and, and nurture new believers. Here's the point. None of us are off the hook from just proclaiming forth, telling forth God and preaching the good news in season and out of season. But we all have different roles in this process of coming to faith. 
Many of you could share your own story and think of different names that would kind of come to mind. Um, some of you would say this. Oh, let me just say it this way. If, if you've ever led someone to Christ, praise God for that. Praise God that you were able to kind of come along and pick a harvest or, or harvest fruit that someone before you, God used to plant and begin to nurture through experiences and life circumstances. And you got to be there, the one that actually got to do that. Hume Lake was this incredible place where year after year, kids would come and they'd be softened up by all kinds of different things that would go on. And God would just speak so clearly. They'd unplug from everything for a week and, and they're just getting God's word. And, and there's so many kids that would just be broken and they would talk to me in such an open way. I remember just being a counselor there and being so excited to get to just minister and share in a, in a unique way at Hume Lake. By the way, our kids leave next week for Hume Lake. Give it up. Come on, junior hires. Yeah. Here's what we need for, for the rest of us staying home. We need to be in prayer for that. That's an incredible spiritual place. It's, it's, it's one of those magical places that God just used in my own personal life, the life of my wife, the life of so many kids. Pray for the staff and the things that are going on, that all the fun and excitement wouldn't overshadow the, the, the most important things going on. Pray for stamina of our, of our team of adults that are going to invest in them. Uh, ever shared with someone the truth about heaven and hell? but never led them to the, to the Lord, you know what? I would say this. Trust that God's working in their life. Don't be down that they didn't make a decision. There are literally hund- hundreds of people that I could say that, that I have had the opportunity to talk and clearly lay out the scripture and they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't accept Christ. Many of them are still in contact with me today. Many of them still seek me out and still talk to me and, and, and I'll, I'll kind of bring it back. How are you doing spiritually? Where are you at with the Lord? Uh, over and above everything, I would give you this, and this is what Jesus would say too. Don't worry about uh, how many necessarily you're bringing to the Lord. Don't, many, don't worry so much your stats about how many times you got to share the gospel today. Here's the, here's the biggest thing. Rejoice. Like, have exceedingly great joy that your name is written in the book of life in heaven. Rejoice that you're saved. That's, that's the biggest thing. Now, if you really walk around rejoicing that you're saved, guess what's going to happen? God's going to use you all the more, right? What are you going to talk about? That which you're stoked about, which is being saved. And so it's just this kind of like cyclical process that goes on. Here's my one-liner for this one. Is don't rob the team of your particular contribution. Do not rob this body of believers of your unique story that God's writing in you. Don't rob the team of the places that you're able to, to build relationships and be in that none of us else can, can be there. Do your part. Step up and do your part. It's graduation season, and um, I just went to a graduation this year. This was a new world record for me uh, personally. I've been to a lot of graduations, mind you. And I went to Santa Teresa's graduation where they had not one or two valedictorians, not even three or four, not even five, six, or seven, or eight, but nine valedictorians. Guess how many speeches we got? You guessed it, nine! (laughs) It was good times. Um, And we just, uh, it was really quite amazing. It took a long time to announce the valedictorians, much less have each one of them get up there and give a speech. Um, But we were there. Graduation season, gotta love it. Um, Let me ask you this. 
There, for most people, for most Christians, there kind of comes this point in time where you, in essence, you graduate and a light goes on to say, man, this isn't my pastor's job to go around and give the good news to people. It's not my small group leader's job to pray for people and come alongside people and serve people. It's not the rescue mission downtown that's called to, to, to be hands and feet of Jesus and just get on your knees and do sweaty, grimy, dirty jobs to serve people. It's mine. This is my call. And there's this graduation that kind of goes on where a light comes on to say, man, this is, this is for me to, to be doing this. My question for you is, have you graduated? Wouldn't it be weird if we, we talk to all these graduates and we say, man, good job for training. Good job for, for, for building in all this knowledge and doing all this stuff. What if in one year from now, all those same graduates from Santa Teresa High School got dressed up in that gown and that really cool hat and sat there in the auditorium again? And we'd heard all the speeches again about this is our time and we're the youth and we're the future and all of that. It'd be a little bit weird, wouldn't it? Now, what if two years from now we did the same thing? Now we'd just say, this is just getting sad. It's just kind of weird when high schoolers are hanging around uh, doing that. And if 10 years from now we're doing the same thing, it's a massive problem. It's a sickness and an illness. And I got to thinking about the church. What if we kind of get dressed up each week, sit in rows, hear inspiring speeches about how we're going to go change the world, and come back next week and do the same thing? What if we never graduate? We go through the ceremony of it. We talk about the sky's the limit for us out in the future. But we're not in the workforce. We, we never really moved on from that stage. People, my challenge to you is if you haven't graduated, it's time to get going. Go get a job. Go find your role in this body of Christ. Get to work. Don't come back next week just dressed up, ready to hear more inspiring speeches. Right? We need to graduate. Uh, very quickly on these next two. I think a, th- a third thing that stops us is mission confusion. Maybe it's mission drift. We've lost our mission a little bit. We're either confused by it or we kind of drift a little bit from it. Jesus said that we're to be in the world but not of it. Let me give you a, a short list of some people from the Old Testament that were in the world but not of it and used greatly by God. Jeremiah served in Egypt And God used him to preserve his family and the Jewish nation. Let me tell you, Egypt was not the most Christian nation. Think about each of these as I read them. Nehemiah served a heathen king, yet God used the authority and resources of that king to enable Nehemiah to rebuild the holy city, Jerusalem. Think about Esther. Esther was a Jewess married to a Gentile ruler, and God used her to protect the Jewish people from almost certain annihilation. Daniel was in Babylon. This is like old school Las Vegas, Sin City, okay? That's what Babylon was. Daniel was in that city and yet never compromised his convictions, but he did assist several rulers and was greatly used by God. And the biggest and best of all was Jesus, who came from heaven, perfect, pure, and holy, walked a sinless life, amongst the heathen and the dirt and the dust and was always about his father's business, glorifying, preaching, proclaiming. Here's what I want to say about this. You and I may cooperate with different people at different times to achieve different purposes, but we're always conscious and aware of our obligation to glorify God. You know what glorify means? It means to show off. 
if, if dads get a, get a new trinket today for Father's Day, I don't know what dads get. Maybe you get a cool new screwdriver. Let's make it a power screwdriver, okay? You get a cool power screwdriver, and you want to show it off. Now, again, going back to the St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. You wouldn't go with that power screwdriver and be like, hey, Stephen, check this out. That's silly. That's ridiculous, right? You, you okay? I think. <laughs> Stephen's like, there's nothing in your hand. Um, you would use words. I mean, you, you, you. You would talk about it, right? You would say things about it. You would show it off because you're excited about your cool little screwdriver. And you would demonstrate it and show off all the features of it. So it is with the gospel. So it is with our walk with the Lord. It's just, it's just what we're excited about is what we're going to talk about. A fourth thing that stops us, not only is there mission confusion, but there's also just sin. Let me just say this. Sin separates. Sin diminishes. Sin keeps you focused on you and your issues, your entrapment, your temptation, your recovery. And if it's always about you, you never have eyes to see the needs of the world. You never get to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the lonely, because it's all about you, right? Let me just say this. Sometimes the best defense against temptation, against your own struggles, is a great offense. Quit trying to say no to the temptation over here. Get engaged in ministry. Get on with your life. Get pouring into other people. And it will lift the focus from off of you and onto others. And in that process, God will heal you. Those are things that are stopping us, I think, from sharing the gospel. I put this in your bulletin, but God is authoring a story of redemption and hope, and it's not complete. Isn't that powerful? It's not over. He's using us as a kind of fifth gospel to keep the story going and to keep talking. We're this third testament. There's an old new and, and us. And, and we're, we're, we're carrying on this message. I need three readers uh, that, are, that are kids this morning. Um, Curran, let me have you open up your bulletin, guys. And uh, Romans 8.28. Parents, you can help them find it. Romans 8.28, I'm going to need you to read that. Someone else. Who else is going to read for me? Right here. I need you to read uh, Ephesians 2.10. It's in your bulletins if you guys want to look at page 2, I think. I need one more. Uh, Travis, let me do Philippians 2.13. Here's what I want you to do. As these kids read these passages, think about the work and purpose that God has for mankind and the fact that it's ongoing. Curran, let's hear it. Nice and loud. Ephesians 2.10. Excellent. Travis. God is at work. Thanks, guys. God is at work and he has a purpose. Is that not crystal clear from us? To, to, to see in these passages. As a minister, you must know your job. And here's the problem. I think a lot of times as ministers, and I use that lowercase m, not an office in the church, but us as disciples of Jesus, as ministers, we tend to think, especially in America, I think, 
of our roles as being manufacturers when all along the job description was, was to be distributors. Let me give you a, a kind of portrait of this. If you were to just take manufacturing type roles and distributing type roles and start to contrast them, you would see what I mean, how there's a vast difference between the two. I used to be a bank teller. For six years, I was a bank teller. As a bank teller, I'm not a manufacturer, right? Someone comes to me and asks for money. I don't panic. I don't go, oh my gosh, do I have enough? I just give them what they request. I follow a procedure and I make sure I'm giving out the right amount, but I just give away. Do I feel bummed that I'm giving hundreds of dollars away from my hand to theirs? Not at all. I'm a distributor. It's not even my money in the first place, right? What happens if I run out? Do I panic, run around, beg, plead, cry, moan? No. Write in my journal? No. I go and I just get more money, right? I talk to my customer service manager. She helps me get more money, and we just always keep the money flowing. Money's coming in. Money's going out. I'm a distributor. I don't panic about these kinds of things. Here's what happens. As manufacturing mindset churches and individuals, we are prone sometimes to depend on our own resources, are we not? What experiences do we have that could possibly help the Lord? We either take great pride in this or we bemoan the fact that we don't have any. Uh, What training do we have? What funds do we have? What talent do we have? What kind of education do we have about spiritual matters? What kind of personality do we have? Again, we can err on the side of pride, thinking we have this great, all this stuff to offer God, which is ludicrous. Or we can just kind of wallow in the fact that we don't have anything to offer God. I'm slow of speech. He can never use me. I'm kind of a quiet person. He can never use me. And both sides are complete sin. Both sides are completely not seeing the fact that we're distributors, not manufacturers. Now, God can take these things, these gifts and talents and experiences and personalities of yours, and he can redeem them to use them for kingdom purposes. But catch this, sometimes they're a liability to the kingdom work. Sometimes when I come away thinking, man, I just turned that phrase so good, and Lord, you really, you really helped me put this together, and I just felt like I spoke so well and so powerfully. Those might be my weakest moments right there. Because it's a spiritual work I'm doing. I can't possibly talk into you any change in life. That's only the work of the Holy Spirit. When I come and I've prepared and I'm humbled and I feel lousy and I, whatever, I don't turn any phrase and I butcher myself completely up here verbally, oftentimes I think that's when God just is able to shine through the most. Now, that doesn't mean we don't all try to bring our best. As a worship team, we want to we bring excellence into the house of the Lord and lead well in worship. But ultimately, what we understand is this. God, you can take all my experiences. You can take all my knowledge, all my training, all my personality, and you can use it, but none of that's necessary for you. You're the miracle worker. You're the creator God. You can create out of nothing. So help me not to think that that it rests so much on me. You know where this is illustrated most clearly is when Jesus feeds the 5,000? All four Gospels record this miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000, which means it's a pretty important miracle. In the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples had a manufacturing type of mentality. The disciples had no clue what to do when Jesus said that they should feed them, but it didn't stop them from throwing out ideas anyways, huh? That's the way we do it sometimes. We don't know what to do, but, but we start speaking anyways. What like Peter often was prone to do. Uh, some of them advised Jesus to send people away. 
Jesus, send these people away. And I thought about this. It's just like us sometimes. Sometimes we want to send away the very people God's calling us to help and serve. Uh, you, you, you need to go get some help somewhere. You're really messed up. God's saying, love them. Rope this person into your life and start walking with them through life. I, like the disciples, can be prone to send people away that God wants to feed. Philip pointed out that there was a lack of funds. There's not enough money for this. We could, have, we could spend all this money and everyone would get one bite. So often I think, especially in the American church, we're, we're prone to think, ah, if we had more money. When oftentimes more money is not what's lacking in ministry. Sometimes God wants us to raise up money and think through those kinds of things. But lack of funds is not what's stopping us. Even when they landed on the right answer, they dismissed it as completely inadequate. Well, this kid has this food, but what's that going to do among so many? And I wonder if Jesus, Jesus in John 6, 6, he said he already knew what he was going to do. But he starts, you know, talking with them anyways. He invites them into this mystery by asking them, hey, what do you think we should do? And I wonder if Jesus, you know, kids, you ever have this game played where it's like, warmer, warmer? Oh, you're burning up. You're talking about the fish and the loaves. Oh, but you just dismissed it as completely inadequate. And then he just says, starts giving them instructions. Have them sit in these groups of people. And he just starts to... To, to manufacture a miracle. And what does he call the disciples to do? Give it away. Just keep giving it away. You know what this uh, gives to us? It, it, it gives us freedom from the bur- burden of coming up with all the answers, all the clever resources and everything. We get to release that to God and say, God, this is your work. You care about these people in this neighborhood more than I do even. You work through me. It also helps us to embrace instead of hide our bankruptcy and poverty. You don't have the right mouth to proclaim God's word. Embrace that. Say, God, use it anyways. You don't feel like you have the right personality or a quick wit or, or the ability to get into people's lives and turn conversations this way. Embrace that. Say, God, I'm, I'm helpless without you. This has to be your work. Here's the action for distributors. Three words. Receive by faith what you desperately need and can never buy. And that's the word grace. There's always enough grace for you in any moment. God, give me the grace in this moment to, to actually pass on that grace to someone else. And there's this great passage, John 1.16. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The, the picture is that of being on the beach and watching waves roll in. You never wonder, oh, is there another wave behind it? Are we going to run out of waves? There's always waves. Grace upon grace. There's plenty where that's coming from. Keep giving it away. So just receive what you can never buy. Secondly, confess your own poverty. The lack of goodness, the lack of generosity, the lack of wisdom, the lack of talent that you have in preaching the gospel, confess it. Disagree with God about it. He already knows about it. Thirdly, share faithfully. Keep giving it away. Test him in this. Test him in giving away the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, and seeing if it really is the the salvation, the uh, power to save. And finally, of these four words, I'd say repeat that process. Continue to receive, confess, share. Receive, confess, share. And keep growing in this. I want to close with this idea of sharing well. From last week, we had these two texts. 2 Timothy 4.2 said, Be prepared in season and out of season. I read from you also 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer. How do you prepare? Two things that I want to... I want to share with you. One is to grow in your know. 1 Timothy 4.16 says this, watch your life and your doctrine closely. 
Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We just read this from 2 Timothy chapter 4, but it was with great patience and careful instruction that Paul was challenging Timothy to continue to preach the word. That means that we ought to look carefully at things. Do you ever wonder why God gives really challenging passages in Scripture? If you haven't come across things you don't understand in Scripture, you're not reading the Bible. That's the bottom line of it. There ought to be things that you come across, often even, that you go, why is this in here? This is challenging. This really challenges me. Not just, not just challenging because I don't measure up, but challenging to even understand it. Ask yourself, why did God, in His infinite wisdom, challenge us with this passage of Scripture? Why is it in here? Why did He leave it in here? I think it unleashes a couple different things. It unleashes desperation. God, I am utterly helpless to understand this unless you give me insight and wisdom into this. And so you start to have this this heart's cry of desperation to know and glean and understand. It also causes us to cry out in prayer and say, God, we need you. I put these in your in your bulletin, but Psalm 119, 18. Open the eyes, open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. Psalm 25, 5. Guide me in your truth and teach me. And in Psalm 119, seven times it says, teach me your statutes. I'm reading it, Lord, but I need your Holy Spirit to give me insight and wisdom. It also promotes thinking. It's not just spelled out for us two plus two equals four each time. It promotes thinking by saying, how does this fit with this? God, I trust you that these, that these work together, but it takes some real work to get there. If you're not thinking and pouring over scriptures, you're not giving careful thought to your doctrine. And you're not growing in your know. 2 Timothy 2.7 says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. That seems like those could be two different ideas. Think over what I say, the Lord's going to give you understanding. You know what it is? It's, it's this idea. Prayer for wisdom and thinking are not two different choices, like, like two alternatives. I'll do one or the other. They're a both and. The way you grow in your know is you think and pray. You think and pray. And you work together on that. Secondly is this. Share the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You ever been tempted when you're talking with someone about the Lord to leave out the yucky parts? You're kind of sharing with me. You're just like, you just want to talk to them about the Lord, and, and you realize that they're starting to, to get an understanding, and you're like, God, I just, I just want to share about your comfort and your healing and your love and your mercy and your understanding and your incredible creativity. Or feel tempted to leave out the demanding parts? I don't want to tell people that they have to count the cost, Lord. I don't want to remind them or or inform them or warn them of the sure wrath to come, God's righteous anger against sin. That's going to turn this whole conversation kind of cloudy. When you and I withhold part of the gospel, you know what we're doing? We are imposing our will onto that situation. Now, you have to use the wisdom of the Lord. There are seasons and times of how you speak, always speaking truthfully but with grace. There are times you can sense when to push and when to keep going and when to kind of just leave it at that for now. But when you and I, either out of fear or apathy or discomfort, choose to leave out part of the gospel, what we're saying is this. The happy part of the gospel is the power to save, not the whole gospel or the whole truth. And when we do that, we are 
we are not only distrusting God, we're lying to people is what we're doing. And that's a really sobering fact for a person like me who really likes to get along with people. We're not loving them well by not giving them the whole truth. 2 Peter 3.9, 3, I put this in your bulletin. We're almost done. Hang in there, kids and adults. Um, 2 Peter 3.9 says this. This is a great kind of um, coming together of these two, grace and the wrath of God to come. 2 Peter 3.9 says this. The Lord is not slow about keeping his promises as some understand slowness. This is good news. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Come to Jesus. That all sounds really good right there. Look at the very next verse. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Boom. That's the hammer coming down. Judgment is coming. Wrath is coming. Punishment is coming if you don't turn. So please turn. On behalf of the Lord, turn to Him. He's life. Don't be tempted to tell part of the truth and think you're doing this person a service. Someone would say this, and I would agree with this, that the gospel really isn't shared until a decision is called for. Now, we could probably get into ticky-tack about this a little bit. But think about this. Think of it this way. What if... We talk about a disease and sin a lot. What if a person has a disease and you walk up to this person, you have full understanding of what this disease does. You're in a third world country and they're clueless about how this spreads and how they got it and what's going to happen to their body and you know what's going to happen to their body. So you go and you start to tell them about the problem. You tell them the consequences of the disease and what's going to happen to them. And they receive all of that with tears in their eyes and a morbid look because it's going to kill them for sure. And then you say, but guess what? I brought the cure with me. I've got the cure. And, and, and here it is. Um, I, I'm going to inform you uh, about the cure. And, and when you take this cure, here's what's going to happen. All these different things are going to happen. Good luck with it. And you just leave the cure sitting there. Not telling them that they need three shots every single day over the next two weeks and at what times of the day to administer the cure. This is a little bit akin to coming up to someone and sharing with them the gospel and not calling for a decision. That doesn't mean every person you ever share the gospel with, you have to grab them by the scruff of the neck and say, decide today. But, but, but saying to them, a choice is involved. God's left it in our hand. The ball's in your court. And really making that a clear part of your gospel presentation, that ought to be the norm. Sometimes preaching and the Holy Spirit just draws people to say this in Acts 2. What must we do? We realize we killed Jesus. We're part of that. What must we do to be saved? And then Peter shares with them the, the, the story. Repent and believe is what he says. Offer people a choice. Band, I want to invite you to come on up right now. Um, as we kind of wrap up our morning, we're going to, we're going to share around uh, communion. We're going to give you opportunities to respond in worship, in offering and in communion. And, and I just want to invite you into this response time. If I could boil down a lot of what I've been talking about with, with what it means to preach in season and out of season, let me just say this. Remember two things. Remember that the, the power is in the message and not the messenger. That's really, really freeing to most of us. All but the most egotistical of people are really, really encouraged by that. The power's in the message, not in the messenger. Thank you, Lord. Now let me just con continue to, to pass on this miracle that you've given to me. I don't know how this, I can't explain everything that's going on, but I'm going to keep passing it out. 
I don't know how you're working in this person's life, but I'm going to share faithfully what you're stirring up in me right now to give to this person. Secondly, position yourself to share the treasure that you have. Position yourself in such a way that you can share what you have. Some of us maybe have gone through our Christian life for a long time, happening upon things that we've lost. You've done that before. Oh, 20 bucks in your pocket. You didn't know, you didn't know where it was, but here it is. You were going to do the wash, and there it is. It's a whole different mindset to go on a hunt for that $20, isn't it? Because when you're on a hunt for that $20, you're turning things over. You're intentional. You're looking for things. You're cutting other things out in your day to find that $20. You know what Jesus did? He came to seek and save the lost. Not to happen upon people who happen to be lost once in a while. Let's be intentional about it. Let's build one another up with stories on Sunday mornings. We'll come back and share. Next Sunday is a rest Sunday. We've already taken one of these, but on any kind of a hike, a demanding series needs some Sundays where you just go, just take a deep breath. You're going to have an opportunity to just come and bring a story about what God's doing. You're going to have an opportunity to come and just pray and be quiet before the Lord. We're going to have a lot of music. We're going to have a lot of testimony. We're going to have a lot of prayer. We're going to have seasons of silence. Just a chance to come and rest before the Lord. Reconfess these things that it's His work. God, as we wrap up our time here and remember You, proclaim the Lord's death as we lift a piece of bread and a cup of juice. We proclaim a good thing. We proclaim the most important thing in our lives, God. I pray, Father, that you would enable us in this journey that you've called us to. Remind us of these simple truths, God, that children can get, children can understand. Lord, would you raise up the youth in our church in such a way that they would actually begin to be an example to those of us who are further along in life and in our spiritual journey by their speech and their conduct, their fiery passion for loving Jesus. Thank you for being our encouragement, our enabler, God, to offer to people life and help us to continue to drink deeply ourselves of it as well. Amen.